Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 11. Growing up, right in the middle of the front yard of my childhood home, there was a big tree. It was a beautiful tree that bloomed every year. But the strange thing about this tree is that it was actually two different kinds of trees that had grown into one. The left side of the tree produced plums, while the right side of the tree produced peaches. My sisters and I, we loved that tree. We'd often climb it and play underneath it after school. Until one day, we were inside watching a movie, and there was a big storm outside. And all of a sudden, we heard a huge crack. We looked outside, and sadly, our tree had been split right down the middle. It was gone. We loved that tree, not only because it produced fruit, but because it was unique. To have two different fruits coming from the same tree being joined together into one whole, yet maintaining its own distinct halves, it was a beautiful thing. That tree is similar to the image the Bible uses to describe the people of God. In Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul described the joining together of Jew and Gentile into one redeemed people of God as a grafting process where two different trees become one. He used this imagery to address a particular issue that was taking place in the first century church. Do you remember that particular issue? I've tried to hit it every week. We've been in this section, so I hope you remember this, but think back with me. We said that in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul began to address the issue of Israel's rejection of the gospel and the Gentiles' acceptance of it. Now, to us today, 2022, we sit here and we think, well, what does that matter? What's the big deal? This was a very big deal. You see, the nation of Israel, they were the group of people we read about in the Old Testament. I mean, just about every famous Bible character you can name, including Jesus, was an Israelite. The Jewish nation of Israel was God's chosen people. But some way, somehow, they had rejected as a whole the very Messiah, Jesus, who came to save them. And then the Gentiles, those were the people outside the nation of Israel, they were coming to Jesus in droves. They were being saved, and they were experiencing all the things that had been promised to Israel. And they were viewing themselves as the people of God. Can you imagine the tension that this created in the Roman church where Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians worship side by side every week? Jewish Christians, think about it, they were sad and they were confused. Why had their friends and family members not accepted Christ like they had? Had God given up on his people? Had he changed his mind about them? Well, as we saw in chapters 9 and 10, Paul explained that that was not the case. God's word had not failed, for God never promised to save every single Jewish person simply on the basis of their heritage. But Israel's issue is their refusal to accept Christ, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But despite their overall rejection of Jesus, God was faithful to save and preserve what we called, we saw last week, a remnant of believers. Paul said he himself was evidence of that. But let's think for a minute now about these these Gentile folks. We'll learn in this chapter that one of their issues was pride. They become arrogant because of their acceptance into the people of God. Some of them may have even begun to think that they had taken Israel's place. Well, not so fast. Paul is going to continue to deal with all those questions and concerns and the division in the church in our passage today, Romans 11, verses 11 through 24. So look there with me now, and let's begin just by walking through our text piece 
by peace. Romans 11, start with verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. There's one thing we've learned in Romans by now. It's that Paul loves questions, right? He loves to ask questions. He normally starts a new section of the letter with a question, and that's the case here. Here's the question. Basically, he says, is Israel completely doomed? Look, we know they've stumbled. Paul talked about how they stumbled over the stumbling stone of Jesus. That's how he described their rejection. But have they fallen? In other words, is God completely done with Israel? Are they down and out and done? And notice the answer. What does he say? Say it with me. By no means. So despite how bad things were, despite Israel's rejection of Christ, despite standing on the wrath of God, things were not over for them. As always, God had a plan to redeem this situation. What's the plan? We'll look at the rest of verse 11 and 12. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Here's the plan. Here's the plan of God. Part one, through Israel's trespass, that's rejection, rejecting Jesus, salvation comes to the Gentiles. We see that taking place in the book of Acts. As the gospel message spreads, the, the Jews reject it, right? They don't like it. They begin to persecute the church. So what happens? Well, the church, they take the message to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, they say, let's go. They believe. And it's this incredible reversal. That the very people who God came to in their midst with his Messiah miss it. And the very people who should have missed it, they were outside the nation, they found it. So that's part one. Jews reject Jesus. The gospel goes to the Gentiles. The Gentiles accept Jesus. But notice there's a, there's a second part. Part two, Israel becomes Jealous, and this leads back to their salvation. Here's where we begin to get a hint of something we're going to talk more about in a moment and see next week as well. The hint is that Israel has a future salvation still to come. God is not done with them. But because of the Gentiles becoming a part of the people of God, because they receive God's grace and promises, Paul says Israel will become jealous, and this will lead to their salvation. This is what he means by that term, full inclusion. Now, my translation, that's the language they use, and there's a little number at the bottom, a little footnote, that tells me that this word in the original language, it wasn't two words, it's actually one. A literal translation of that word would be the word fullness or completeness. So Paul, he's not saying that every single Israelite who's ever lived will be saved. We've already seen in Romans that many Jews rejected Christ and died under his judgment. The only way for anyone to be saved, whether Jew or Gentile, is through Christ and Christ alone. But what Paul is saying is that the present situation of the Jewish people will one day be reversed. Whereas now there is a, there's a remnant, there's this small group who believes and the majority have rejected Jesus, at some point that will change. There will be a future day when Jews will be saved to the point that we will describe it as their fullness. And his point is that if their rejection of Jesus meant blessings for the Gentiles, if it sent the gospel all over the world, what do you think will happen when the fullness of the Jews accept Jesus? Well, he continues to give us a hint of that, what Israel's salvation will mean. These next verses, look at verses 13 through 15. Now, I'm speaking to you, Gentiles, 
Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Paul tells us here, clear as a bell. He says, hey, Gentiles, I'm talking to you. Remember, there were Jews and Gentiles, both Christians in this church. They're sitting there hearing this letter together, and everybody kind of turned. Ooh, he's talking to them right now. Remember, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. And he explains here that one of his goals was to reach Gentiles so that Jews would get saved. He hoped, he prayed that through his ministry to the Gentiles, the Jews would become jealous. They'd turn to Jesus. And then again, he alludes to the idea that this will actually happen. There will be a future day when Israel will be saved. Their rejection led to the Gentiles being reconciled to God. And one day their acceptance, their acceptance into this new relationship with God will mean life from the dead. Now, that, that phrase, life from the dead, it's, it's highly debated. We, we don't know for sure what Paul's saying. But many believe, including me, that Paul's talking here about literal life from the dead. He's referring to the future resurrection. That's the moment when Christ returns, the dead are raised, souls are reunited with their bodies. So I believe Paul is saying here that this future time when the Jews will be accepted, when Israel is saved, will be one of the final things to happen before Christ returns. It will actually usher in the end of all things. The clearest verse where we see this laid out is a verse we're, we're going to cover next week. But I want you to see this morning. So I'm just making stuff up. And you can understand what's going on. Look ahead with me at Romans chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. It's a highly debated set of verses. We're going to get into all of it next week. But notice when this future day of Israel's salvation will take place. He says right now, at the present time, Israel is under a partial hardening. Until, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. In other words, once the last Gentile comes to faith in Jesus, that hardness on Israel will be removed. And that's when Israel will be saved. We don't know much more than that. We don't know exactly when or exactly how this will happen. But I think it's clear, and I would encourage you to go study this for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. But I think it's clear that this future day of salvation for Israel will be one of the final events to take place before Christ returns. I believe a large number of Jewish people, again, not everyone... But a large number will turn to faith in Jesus and be saved. To explain this incredible plan of salvation, Jew and Gentile both coming to faith in Jesus, Paul gives us this image to help us picture it. Look at the next, next verses, verses 16 through 18. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. We have two pictures here telling us the same thing. A lump of dough 
and a tree. And, and the tree picture is the one that Paul is run with, runs with. So that's what I want to focus on for, for the moment. Uh, first off, what is the, the root of the tree? He calls the root holy, and considering the the context of this point here, most agree that the root refers to the original promise of God's salvation given to Abraham. That was the promise, remember, that kicked off this whole thing. Okay, so if that's the root of the tree, then who were the, the, the branches? Well, the branches are the ethnic Jewish people. They were connected to Abraham ethnically. They were the original recipients of the promise. If you're tracking with me so far, say, I am. Make sure I didn't lose anybody there. But here's what happened. The Jewish people, as we've established, they they rejected Jesus. And as a result, it says they were broken off. What does it mean to be broken off? That doesn't sound good, does it? But certainly it means to be removed from God's blessing, to fall under his judgment. And with the removal of the original branches, the Israelites who who rejected Jesus, we see that wild olive shoots are grafted in the tree. Well, who is that? Who are these wild olive shoots? Those are the Gentiles who accepted Christ. Now, are you guys familiar with the concept of grafting? I didn't think so. That's why I had to Google it. I didn't know what was going on there. So at the risk of offending tree professionals everywhere, let me simplify it. Grafting is when you cut off a part of one tree and you tie it to another. And the new attached part eventually grows into the tree and becomes a part of it. Pretty accurate. So-so. Got the gist. That's the image we we have here. The original branches, the Jews, they're broken off. The wild branches, the Gentiles are grafted in. But here's what happened. Here's the problem Paul wants to address. Remember, we said the Gentiles had become arrogant. They thought, look at us. (laughs) We replaced the the Jewish people. They were broken off. Look at me. I'm grafted in. Here we are. Paul says, no, 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 no. Don't be arrogant. Here's why. Because you don't support the root, the root supports you. In other words, Gentiles, you would not be here if it were not for the nation of Israel. You were connected to their root. That's the first reason the Gentiles can't be arrogant. They are attached to the root of God's promises to Israel. Here's the second reason. Look at verses 19 through 22. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They, Israel, were broken off because of their unbelief, but you, Gentiles, stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Second reason the Gentiles must not be arrogant is because they were grafted in only by faith. Paul says you didn't get grafted in because of something you did or because you're better people than the Jews were. Israel didn't believe. They were broken off. You did believe. You were grafted in. Simple as that. He says, hey, if God didn't spare Israel, he won't spare you either. Now, we hear this talk of being cut off the tree and our Baptist radar starts going off. What is that? Is he saying that we can lose our salvation? If I stop believing, does that mean God's going to cut me off and I'm going to lose my place in heaven? Here's the reason we think that way. We often have a narrow view of salvation. We only look at one aspect of our salvation, which is our past justification. See, there was a single moment when you trusted in Christ and he saved you. He justified you. 
And yes, all those who are truly saved and justified will be saved forever. But the Bible doesn't stop there at our past salvation. The Bible speaks of our continued salvation. It's called sanctification. I know, big words. But what that means, we've lost this concept in the church today. What it means to be saved is to continue in your salvation. It's to keep going. It's to persevere in your faith until the day you die. Jesus used a similar analogy in John chapter 15. Listen to these, this from the words of Jesus. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. All the Baptists who heard Jesus said, hey, Jesus, does that mean I can lose my salvation? Jesus would have said to them, no, stop it, you're missing the point. Jesus is not talking here about eternal security, neither is Paul in Romans 11. What both of these passages are doing is calling believers to persevere, to keep going, to remain dependent on God's grace. Yes, those who are justified will be sanctified and ultimately glorified. That's Romans 8. Yes, a true believer will never fall away from God or be plucked from his hand. That's because a true believer will persevere in the faith. So here's Paul's point. Do not become proud, but fear. I think we need more healthy fear in our lives. The Bible, we repeatedly called to fear God. We know this is not some kind of like paralyzing fear. We want to run away from him, but it's a, it's a healthy respect. It's an awe for who God is. And this fear comes when we consider the kindness and severity of God. That's a really good balance, I think, to the character of God. God is kind. He's good. But he's also severe in his judgment. While as believers, we know there's no condemnation for us, Romans 8.1. We, we stand under God's kindness. We should never take that for granted and forget his severity towards sin and evil. That's his message to the Gentile believers in Rome. But he has one more reason that the Gentiles should not be arrogant about their salvation. It's because despite what they think, they have not replaced Israel. God is not done with his Old Testament people. Look at this last part, verses 23 and 24. And even they, Israel, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? There it is again. Future hope for the nation of Israel. God has the power to graft them in again. If he could graft in wild branches, don't you think he could graft back in natural branches? And that whole analogy really it just makes sense. It's obviously much more difficult to take a branch from one tree and graft it into a different tree. If God has the power to do that, to take people who had no connection to his original promises to Israel, people who had no knowledge of the Old Testament or the law, people who had no physical connection to Abraham, if he has the power to bring them into his people and save them, then surely he can do it for Israel. And as I've said, I believe he will. I believe in a future day when a large number of Jews will come to the realization that Jesus is their Messiah and they will turn to him in faith and be saved. 
Not every Christian believes that. This is a debated issue. Is everything else in Romans 9 through 11 is? But I, I do believe this is what Paul's teaching. He doesn't say that Israel will take back the original land promised to them. He doesn't say anything about Israel fighting a war. He doesn't say anything about rebuilding a temple. This is not a physical or material restoration as some people teach on the end times. I don't subscribe to that. This is a spiritual restoration. Again, this is a day when Jews will come to faith in Jesus Christ in mass. And when I see that happening, I will be looking for Jesus. Like I said, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week. But let's just close today by looking at three things we learn about the people of God from Paul's teaching about God's tree. Here's the first. Number one, the people of God are humble. One of the reasons that Paul wrote the whole book of Romans was to deal with this division that was taking place in the church of Rome. Do you guys remember the historical setting of this time? This church began like most first century churches did. It was made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. But Claudius, who was the Roman emperor at the time, he got mad. He kicked out all the Jews, including the Christian Jews, out of Rome. So the Roman church became for a period of time, entirely Gentile. The Gentiles became the leaders. And they changed the style of music and the kind of food they served at potlucks. They probably took the pews out of the sanctuary. But after a few years, the Jews were allowed to come back, and they wanted to go back to their home church. And they walked in, and they discovered the Gentiles were sitting in their seats. The church was different. Things looked different. And that's the conflict. And at the heart of this conflict and division was arrogance. It was pride. The Jewish Christians had pride because they were the nation of Israel. They were God's chosen people. They were kin to Abraham. They'd been circumcised. They knew the law. So they thought they were something. Then there were the Gentile Christians. They had pride because they came to believe in Jesus without all those special advantages. When the Jews rejected Jesus and nailed him to a cross, they welcomed him with open arms. And now they're leading the Roman church. So they thought they were something. Paul says to both of them, no, Gentile Christians, you're not something special. Jewish Christians, you're not something special. Jesus is something special, and he's the only reason any of us are here. That's been Paul's whole message. The first three chapters of Romans, he wants to make clear, all have sinned, all stand under God's judgment. The next five chapters, he, he wanted to demonstrate that through Jesus and Jesus alone, all of us can be transformed by the gospel. So, so none of us, none of us have a reason to boast about anything. Therefore, one of the biggest things you and me and our church should take away, one of the biggest things that should change about each of us from studying through the book of Romans is we should be marked by humility. We of all people should realize that we did not get ourselves here and we cannot keep ourselves here. It's all a work of God's grace. If you're a saved follower of Jesus, that means God grafted you into his tree. You did not plant the tree. You did not join the tree. You didn't even know what the tree was. God brought you into his tree. So that means there is never, ever a reason for us to look down on one another. Or to think of ourselves as better than someone else in this church. This truth right here should rid us of all bitterness, backbiting, complaining, envy, gossip, all of it. 
And it should lead us to serve one another, to love one another, to treat one another with honor. People of God must be humble. Here's the second thing we learn about the people of God. Number two, the people of God are unified. One of the keys to Paul's tree image here is that it's one tree. Unlike the tree in my front yard growing up, it's not two separate trees that got merged together into one. It's not one tree with different kinds of fruit. It's one olive tree. Now, in the Mediterranean world, in the first century, olive trees were everywhere. They're the most common type of fruit tree. I know that nobody today likes olives except on pizza, and if you disagree, you're wrong. But the original hearers of this letter would have really connected with this whole olive tree picture. They would have understood. They would have been tracking like, hey, yeah, yeah, we're all part of this one tree. Yes, the root was to the specific nation of Israel, the promise. The, the Gentiles or wild branches got grafted in. The Jewish Christians got broken off. They're grafted back in. But once grafted in, even though they came from different places, they were now a part of the same tree. It wasn't a Jewish branch and a Gentile branch. They were all branches of the one people of God. And the same is true of the church today. One of the key themes in the New Testament concerning the church is unity. Paul talks about it in just about every letter he wrote. Jesus prayed. One of the last things he prayed to God, he said, God, I pray that they, my people, my church, would be one. Unity is absolutely essential to our church. But unity does not mean sameness. It doesn't mean we're all identical. The picture of the church is unity in diversity. It's a group of people from different generations, different ethnicities, different economic levels, different religious backgrounds, different careers, different passions. People who may have nothing else in common, but who have all been grafted into the same tree. People who have all said together, hey, I put my faith in the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's unity in diversity. We all have different stories. We, we come from different places. But if you become a member of this church, you are agreeing to become a part of one family. This is not a club. It's not a group or some social organization. We are a living organism rooted in Christ, joined together as his body and united as one. And because we're a living organism, here's the third thing, last thing we learned about the people of God. Number three. The people of God are growing. Our tree is not full yet. There are more branches that still need to be grafted in. We already said God is going to save Jewish believers and graft them back in. Do you think he might do that in the large Jewish community we have here in Kansas City? I think so. There are also more Gentiles like us that will be grafted in. People here in Olathe, people all over the world. That means we're not done yet. There's still work to be done. There's still branches to be reached and grafted in. Last summer, my wife, she started a garden in our backyard. and I helped very minimally. Uh, this was her project. And, and as the city slicker that I am, I was blown away that she put this, this little seed in the ground. And she watered it. And she cared for it. And from that seed came food. Tomatoes and cucumbers and okra. I can't believe okra didn't just come out fried. I've never seen it <laughs> raw like that. And then, you know, after we, we gathered everything in, we actually sat down at the dinner table. 
And we ate some of the very things she grew, and we didn't die. It's amazing. But you know, there were a few things she planted that didn't grow. She did a great job, but a few things. She put the seed in the ground, and nothing happened. Or it grew up a little bit, and then it stopped. Here's what I learned from that. When a plant stops growing, it starts dying. The same is true of us as a church When we stop reaching people and adding to our number here, new believers, we will die. When we stop having baptisms and seeing people saved and we've lost our purpose for existing, put the boards on the door. So the picture Paul gives us in Romans 11 of Jews and Gentiles becoming one tree together, that's our tree too. We're we're a part of it today, the same olive tree. And as that tree... We have to be humble, unified, and growing. Bottom line, we have to be the people of God. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer.